Welcome back to Minds Matter. I'm Ava, your co-host in the studio in Amsterdam, and Beth is with us from Australia. As hey, you know. guys. Um, so today we are talking about something that you actually already heard in the podcast <laughs> and you saw from the title also. Um, but so today we're talking about music, which uh, has been referred to by um, psychologist Steven Pinker as so-called auditory cheesecake. Um, oh. So it's this idea that uh, it's something that we kind of don't really need to survive. So it's not like what he calls the main dish like language. So it's just kind of like this dessert that we don't really need, but that brings us a lot of pleasure. Um, but a lot of psychologists and anthropologists actually think that, you know, music was kind of key to our evolution. And some psychologists believe that it's really central to who we are. And what is clear is that it is ubiquitous in our world. It's everywhere. Almost every culture in the world, actually every culture in the world I that has been tested, culture, yeah. yeah, has music. So the base of this is like rhythms that are intentionally spaced out in a certain way and different tonalities that change. You guys know what music is. Um, <laughs> and it actually stretches back further than we even could have thought because some animals do show evidence of musicality as well. So there was a point at which people thought that rhythm specifically was um, really just something human, but there's, we'll, we'll also link this in our, in our site, but there's, you know, and honestly with Instagram, you've probably seen videos of like dogs dancing like, and stuff like that. It was like a dog that can play the drums. Exactly. Cool. <laughs> but the most famous of these animals was this, was this um, parrot called Snowball who kind of can dance, shake, <laughs> literally shake its tail feathers to, <laughs> to, uh, to a certain beat. Um, but they're not super flexible with this. And obviously there's, there's also songbirds who sing clearly. Um, but no animal is as flexible as humans are with music. And while we're in the ontology part of it, there's also, um, according to some researchers, some evidence that we are built for music because also of the way that language and music are so intertwined. And there are right. studies that show that for example, um, German babies and French babies cry in a different way. Um, so with a different really? pitch and a different cadence. Yeah. Um, and they've oh, analyzed wow. like the sound waves of it as well. And the idea is that they've been kind of trained in the womb to hear these different types of sounds that they need to, that they need to produce. Um, and obviously that's kind of, that kind of shows the intersection between language and music. But this pitch and rhythm, that's very musical. So yeah. some researchers really argue that music and its building blocks, like those are really deeply ingrained in us. And it's also, you know, something really powerful that I think we've all experienced. Yeah. Um, so also a little segue, I guess, is music is also explored in a lot in philosophy. And actually a lot of times neuroscience and psychology goes over into philosophy as well and the two can be quite intertwined. So there, so there's a philosopher, well, neuroscientist, doctor, I think it's a bit of everything. <laughs> Oliver Interdisciplinary. <Saxon. laughs> 
um, if you are going to read anything from the references, I would recommend reading this paper. But he um, talks about two philosophers who speak about the problem that we like, well, not the problem, but like, what is it about music? So one of the things is like, so even though music has no concepts and no images, symbols, so all these things that language has, so this is obviously music without lyrics. Um, and so it doesn't really have that power of representation or like a relation to the world. Um, so this is what Schopenhauer, a philosopher, talks about in his book, The World is Will and Representation. Um, then how then do we have this strong connection to it and, and we feel that it is doing these things when, and when it's so different to language? And then um, one of my favourite philosophers, Nietzsche, also famously said we listen to music without muscles. So why is it when music comes on, you know, it's so easy for us to tap along, like, you know, we have dance, all these things that you see across across culture and across, like, throughout history. Mm-hmm. That's actually something yeah. really interesting, which this is sort of a digression, but I feel like in psychology and neuroscience, in, the, in what we learn currently, there's, like, this move away from learning, you know, about Freud and learning about older psychologists that were maybe more philosophers like Merleau-Ponty or something like this. Like we don't right. learn about yeah. those people even though we're learning about embodiment and stuff like that. And it's clear that people like Freud, people like Nietzsche, they had these insights that proved to be true in the end by science because this idea of music is listened to by the muscles. Like the thing is that in in um, in studies that they've done on rhythm and on music, in the yeah. fMRI, so doing brain scans, they've shown that when people are trying to listen to a rhythm, they it's not only their auditory cortex, so like the areas of the brain that are responsible for just hearing sounds that light up, but actually the areas that are involved in planning movement, so um, the premotor yeah. cortex and the the supplementary motor cortex as well. And I kind of thought that that was because you know you're kind of keep trying to keep a beat. Um, if you're being told to remember that beat later on. But even when people were listening to classical music, which for me personally doesn't make me want to dance, you're still having that activity in the premotor areas, which I think is so interesting because it really is something that tries to get you moving, you know? And it's just like, seems like ingrained in us that even this kind of music that's not really dance music, you're still... You still have Yeah. So I think that's yeah, exactly. that's really amazing. And I think we should listen. We should go back to read some philosophy. That's my personal. Opinion. Yeah, we should. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, because before, obviously, I record this at night in Australia, mm-hmm. and before Ava like gets into the studio, I actually listen to like music to get pumped up. So I think we all like understand that, like that, you know, why we listen to when we exercise and all those things. It it can it like has that effect yeah i mean okay so we're yeah. we're getting into music and emotion at this point um and <laughs> there is there is evidence also that you know physiologically i think that we all feel it that physiologically when you listen to a song like beth said you know you get pumped up or you get sad which we'll show examples of yeah. soon <laughs> um but there's evidence that there's this this phenomenon called entrainment where when you're listening to a song with a certain bpm or beats per minute you your heart rate will fall in line with that in about five minutes and there's also some evidence that your neural waves 
also fall in line with this. So that's kind of the premise behind these whole like binaural beats things, which is not technically proven, but whatever works for you. Yeah, like if it works for you, yeah. And there is kind of conflicting evidence of like whether you should study with music or without music, but I think it is kind of whatever you feel. And that's something interesting also is that when we talk about music being universal, um, there's evidence that it's that obviously there's music everywhere, but that the valence of it is can be really different depending on who you are. And I think that we can even see that within our own, you know, our own communities. Like I don't, Beth and I listen to very different music, I think. Yeah, we do actually. (laughs) And like, I definitely listen to more like hip hop, more Drake, R&B, Drake. (laughs) I'm from Toronto. Okay. And, but, but Beth, you know, like you've also had this experience I, th- I mean, we all have in certain extent, yeah. but I remember vividly that when we were, you know, at the beginning of the year when we had both first moved to Amsterdam and you were kind of going through oh, a rough yeah. time. Don't know where this is going. <laughs> no, that just you would be, I remember you would walk for an hour in nature. I would. So yeah, call back nature. to our other yeah. episode and you would listen to like ACDC. And Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It gets you in a good mood. Yeah, but Not, I, well, I, I don't know if I would be in a good mood listening to that. Really? So that's the thing. That's why I think it's, you know, when, when there's, there are these cross-cultural studies about, um, about music and about valence and people feel in these studies across cultures, people can understand that there's like a different level of arousal. So like when the beat is faster, yeah. like we said, it, it physic physiologically yeah. affects you. But then how it makes you feel, I think, really varies by who you are and the associations that you have. Um, Yeah. Because, yeah, for me, if I listen to ACDC, like, I'm just like, (laughs) oh, my goodness. And my mom, when she listens to what I listen to, she says it's noise. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know. I don't know if you like what I listen to also. I think you're fine. You know, I'm, you know, some of it's all right. (laughs) Exactly, but that's the thing. Like we grew up in super similar cultures, like Commonwealth. Yeah, but (laughs) but I think it's just the fact that um, that's that's like another really important element of music. I think in the sense of your first, there's this idea of universality, and most people enjoy some kind of music. But there's also this really crucial aspect of your associations and the memories that you have with it, and Right, obviously like the social yeah. meaning that you attach because I can imagine yeah. that you probably listen to similar stuff to people in Australia I don't know if Australia is going to be happy for me saying all we do is listen to ACDC <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> but I mean your friends do they listen to that kind of music yeah like me and my brother do a lot like yeah that's yeah so it's similar you hear it at the bars and stuff like that yeah I think I think that's another, you know, really key function of music is that it's just like a social connector and also like yeah. a social badge, you know, so you say like, because, you know, you listen to ACDC, you're from Australia, you go to the bars, you do this stuff. I listen to Drake <laughs> because I'm from Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's let's actually get into... Some of the study. Yeah. Some of the 
some of the brain stuff because I think we all have an intuition that like from somewhere, which maybe we will tell you why you have this <laughs> feeling that classical music is good for you on some level, but you don't really know why. Why? So um, there's this, are you guys may have heard of it called the, this thing called the Mozart effect. And this was like coined from a research paper. What was it in 1993? And basically this paper claimed that after people listened to Mozart, like some upbeat, happy Mozart, um, they sat an IQ test and their IQ improved. And I think they claimed like 10 points, like something just wow. insane. Um, and so it, like... <laughs> <laughs> it um like made all the news and it was like m- music makes you smarter and this was really considered to be like true and people listening to more classical music and things like that um but as the years went on and people tried to reproduce the results they couldn't some people found some things some people found other things so there was something going on with people listening to classical music but maybe not going up 10 IQ points. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then once we thought, okay, well, maybe um, what's happening with the, um, when you're listening to Mozart is something to do with your arousal and mood. Um, so they did this study where they had people listen to Mozart for 10 minutes or listen to, what's the name of the other composer? Is it Al? Albioni. Albioni. Wow, we are illiterate (laughs) (laughs) i studied classical music for 14 years and i really that's bad i didn't i didn't i didn't think i was gonna be put on the spot and i have to say his name (laughs) i'll be known Um, i know who um, that is too this is embarrassing (laughs) cut this out editors we don't have any (laughs) we don't have editors (laughs) but his classical music is like slower and um it's a very different feeling to the to the Mozart one so should we play both to give our yeah listeners a yeah so the first the first of these is as Beth said a Mozart sonata so sonatas are typically like happy and you know on the piano and then we'll also play this adagio which is also supposed to be like just a slower type of music yeah so you can listen, maybe close your eyes with us and see how <laughs> see how it makes you feel. Okay. <laughs> You know, we're feeling good. We're feeling pumped up. <laughs> we're ready to go. You know, like in the original study that they did on the, that found this quote Mozart effect, they they then had people do these visuospatial tasks. So kind of like looking at how um, how an, an object in space is rotated. So that's yeah. typically how those tasks go. Um, so maybe after doing that, you know, you're ready to take on your visual spatial task. You're ready to do it. And now let's, now let's check out the other piece that they had these people, these participants listen to, because they were looking at mood and maybe this will make you feel a slightly different way. So let's check it out. Thank you. 
Okay, so I don't know about you guys, but for me, when I <laughs> checked out these pieces from the study, I listened, especially with the contrast of listening to the first one, then listening to the second one, I, I texted Beth and I said, I want to cry. I mean, that piece is just, <laughs> it's so painful to listen to, I think. Um, and also in terms of the, the idea of this heart rate and physiological effect, you know, when you listen to that second piece, I feel like you just want to lay down, your muscles feel like... <laughs> You can't do anything. Definitely not do a visual spatial task. Can you imagine? So what did what did the researchers end up finding then? Um, so they found that after participants listened to the Mozart piece, their, their performance improved. But when they listened to the other piece, their performance decreased. So what they also did was they got people to sit like arousal questionnaires so you can see like the arousal state of someone and also positive mood so with the Mozart piece participants also reported like a positive mood and high arousal and like just as Ava said with the other one it was like low arousal and low mood so uh, also this is other research but explains these findings so if you have really high levels of anxiety or arousal or really, really low, like it will inhibit cognitive tasks. Whereas mm -hmm. there's, there's this like moderate level where you perform the best. Mm -hmm. So what, what they found was the Mozart piece like pumps you up <laughs> to that level that's that where you can perform mm -hmm. the best. Whereas the other piece actually had the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. And that's why the performance was inhibited. So it's not that music makes you smarter as like was claimed in the 90s. It's like eating like certain pieces can inhibit uh sorry increase your arousal and mood and this is what in increases your performance i do think that that's also interesting because it is that in the end you know music and this mozart effect is sort of real in the sense that if you like the piece and the piece makes you feel good then you will do better on these types of tasks like that effect okay. remains the same it's just that the reason for it is is not what was thought and you know making no, your babies yeah. listen to mozart in the womb is not going to make them any smarter um little Janie. <laughs> but i mean i also think that it's 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 a really nice finding in the sense also that typically in i mean in in psychology i think it's changing but also you know in folk psychology and and literature there's this idea of like yeah. your heart versus your brain and like the mm -hmm. fact that these things are in conflict and reason and emotion are really mm -hmm. separate but clearly they're not because you know if you're not feeling good you can't do things and if you can pump yourself up you'll feel better and then you'll yeah. do better on stuff no. um yeah so I really I really like that finding and I I think it was a really interesting like dissection of what what is actually going on and that's I think that's kind of an example of how psychology should be um, yeah, and um, also what's nice about this research is it can show like the progression of research. So they have this initial finding and then, it you know, people did more work and, you know, they, yeah, well, you're right. It's not that the other one was com proven completely wrong. It's just like this is more understanding of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so as for music's yeah. effects on on cognition, I think that, you know, yeah. as we've said, there's there's maybe less to say about um, just listening passively to music, but there has been evidence that um, listening actively to music and getting music training can 
influence how you think about things um, and, you know, performance on cognitive tasks and other outcomes. Um, and one of these one of these ways of listening actively, which is not necessarily training, but it's kind of um, a way to parse what you're hearing is listening to music in like and trying to figure out the groups of it. So um, there's a researcher, I believe, called Arden Shore, who I will link all of his stuff in 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 our website as usual. But he talks about the the fact that in music you're you're listening and in classical music people typically you know maybe you as a listener were bored listening to what we put on before and sometimes there's this feeling that that classical music is boring and Mm -hmm. he outlines the fact which i thought was really interesting that you can either be bored because something is just too easy for you and too simple and it's not interesting because of that or because it goes over your head and there's just too much going on and you can't pick up on it which is true because you know I've I've been to lectures where there's too much going yeah, on, too much going on, and I end up yeah, being bored because yeah. I can't do it. And I think that there's there is something similar that happens in classical music because there are these themes that come back, but that if yeah. you're untrained, it's hard to, or you're just not used to listening to that music, it's hard to pick up on. But if you're able to train yourself to listen to music in the way that you're grouping things together, so there will typically be several different themes within a piece that then vary, mm-hmm. then you're able to not only pick out what's important and listen to it by kind of listening to this story that's being told, but you're also yeah. able to get joy out of it because a lot of joy that people get out of um, out of music, like studies have shown that it's really about the fact that you're expecting something in the music and then you get surprised so other studies have also shown when people listen to pop music that Mm -hmm. when you're about to get to the chorus there's kind of this buildup of dopamine in one region of the brain and then once you get to the chorus there's like an outburst of dopamine in um, an adjacent region and i think that you know pop music is really easy for us to get and there's if you listen to something in the car you know, or whatever, or at someone, or at my house when I put on my class at Ava's house. That's where you'll be listening to it. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, you can probably sing along because it's it's yeah, just after once yeah, you're because right. it's so expected. And then when those expectations are violated in a way, that's when you get this kind of pleasure. And so I think that that's a really nice way if you're looking to you know, expand the way that you see music and get into classical music because I do think classical music has a lot to offer. And sometimes when I listen to classical music for a while and then I go back to my R&B, I'm like, oh, this is not good. (laughs) I actually, like, I don't know anything about classical music. Like, I couldn't even, didn't even know who the other composer was. Um, But I really enjoy listening to it and I I, I don't understand it like at all but when you listen to it yeah what do you feel when you listen to it typically um I feel like there's certain classical music that I feel very very relaxed Mm -hmm. and or there's certain ones that I think it makes me feel really happy Mm -hmm. but yeah do you feel like if you do you like sit down and listen to like a symphony or something like that for an extended period of time be honest, I'm not sitting down listening to symphonies. <laughs> Just because in you know, like in in Toronto, there there's I mean I'm sure in Melbourne too, there's like there's like this there's um the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and like you can go there if you're a student. It's it's 
relatively cheap to go. And, like, my mom will semi-drag me there sometimes. Um, and there are times at which, when I'm focused, I really enjoy being there. But if I'm, if I'm not, if I can't focus on what's going on, and it's a piece that's completely new to me, sometimes it does go over my head, and I'm just like okay like when when is this over like drake playing in the background no um but this i will i will link this 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 talk that he gives because um because it is a really interesting way to to get more familiar with music and i think to get really into it and i and that's what's nice about you know, looking into the research on how it really works in the brain is that once you get mm-hmm. at the mechanisms, you can understand, okay, how can I actually get the most out of other types of music right. that I'm listening to? So I think that's really nice. Um, uh, well, this is kind of related, but this doesn't focus on classical music. So there was a study done in Helsinki and Montreal, so mm-hmm. Canada again, and it was... Um, stroke patients had to listen to music so either for two months for an hour a day they were either in a group where they had to listen to music an audiobook or just silence um (laughs) but yeah you never really want to be in that control group but they were still allowed to listen to music they just weren't forced to listen to it for the one hour Mm. and the stroke patients they got to pick what genre they listened to and it was a fo- they call it like a focus listening. So the scientists would say, like, you know, really make sure when you, like, listen to this when you can. And a lot of these stroke victims, you know, they had to have nurses give them AIDS to do it. Like these, you know, these are serious. They were in, in the hospital. Um, so because they could select what music they wanted, it was like 62% of people selected pop. And I think uh, 20% um selected classical or they call it spiritual music um and then they also do questionnaires once a week so like on on their mood and things and they found in the music group and this is pretty incredible that verbal memory and focused attention improved compared to the other groups and they were also less depressed and um less confused regardless of the type of music also yeah so there was no differences in what type of music they selected oh that's really interesting yeah, and they say they also don't know, like, the mechanisms of how this maybe is happening. Um, but, of course, like, this is an easy easy way to help stroke victims. Um, but, yeah, this is, it didn't matter what music it was, but maybe also if it's helping improve your memory, it might, if you're selecting something that you've listened to throughout your life mm-hmm. or something like that, that's going to have, so if, for example, I've listened to ACDC. That's going to be more beneficial to me than listening to to, <laughs> to modes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think also in terms of the benefits, obviously there's something going on there that isn't just reserved to classical music, but all music. Yeah, in terms of improving, yeah, these cognitive functions. So in this study people were were they fully choosing all of the tracks yeah so it was like their personal selection oh okay so okay that's nice I feel like that also is like you know the fact that music it's I feel like it's also super linked to another episode that we did check it out um (laughs) on nostalgia which is that you know music 
can really take you back to a moment and I feel like can be really because when you listen to music I think most studies show that you also have a lot of hippocampal activity which is a region of the brain that's really important which is really important for memory for a lot of types of memory um so maybe there's something like that and just that those circuits are kind of reactivated I don't know yeah because what they speculated there's also been a lot of research done on and I think a lot of people have seen these videos of the Alzheimer's patients who that they're very emotional they can't remember anything and then they have play a song from their childhood and you know tears are brought to that they're really taken back to that to that time and actually in the Oliver Sacks paper he suggests that so music memory is very distinct to other memories because it's you know, it's not it's not related to Im- images or, or these. So every other memory we have, like it's images, events, and we can like put our own take on that. We m- remember things differently. Like we've all experienced this. Like you know, two people remembering an event is completely different. Um, whereas uh, remembering music, it it can't be because if you're remembering a song completely differently, I mean, you're not remembering the song at all. So mm-hmm. there's something very specific to to music memory, which I think. Yeah, I mean, that could also be a way that this is facilitating these things. Yeah, I feel like the interesting thing with those things, which we also talked about, I think, before we started recording, but with, like, earworms. (laughs) um, Yeah, yeah. But I've had the experience that I guess that's the thing is that, as you said, when, when you remember music incorrectly, like, you're actually kind of not remembering it in a way. And I like recently this year just got an earworm out that has been it's it's been haunting me since I was nine. Tell everyone what an earworm is do you think oh so it's like it's basically when something when a song or it's usually a snippet of something gets stuck in your head yeah and I had this this earworm like it's just the perfect word for it because it just eats eats that's what it is (laughs) and I I remembered what was around it. I remembered this one, like, vocal cadence in it perfectly, but I could not remember what was around it. And I was, because I felt like there was some kind of, like, electronic beat, so I thought maybe it was, like, some techno song, but I was completely wrong. And I only realized it when I heard the song again. And the relief that I felt, oh, my goodness. It was a Justin Bieber song, by the way. So that's... What long was it? company no company I, think? <laughs> I don't know we can, we'll put it in we'll put it in the playlist of this episode <laughs> it's not a great song but it certainly <laughs> I certainly could not remember it just because I because I had built these other types of associations and expectations around that one right. loop so just these earworms and in <laughs> in um Oliver Sacks also has a whole book about like case studies that he's come across um yeah. that have to do with music and there is one chapter of people who get these really really intense earworms and to the point that they are like haunted by them and they can't sleep because they're so intense and these are not yeah. necessarily even musicians but these things also can happen like after a stroke um but yeah. i think that does speak to this idea that music is really something that our brains do in a way so naturally that it can just be set yeah. off so easily and you really hear it. Like it's no, not, yeah. it's not a vague, I feel like for me, I don't know about you, but my visual memories and my visual imagination sometimes isn't as clear, but for music stuff, 
I feel like I can hear yeah. a song all the way through. And that can be yeah. haunting. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that that's really interesting in terms of thinking about this idea of like what music really evolved for and what it what purpose yeah, it serves okay. us. Yeah. So I, I like that. Although yeah. these these earworms are there they can be so painful. Yeah. Um but some day about I know. I was I was I was truly disappointed when I realized he's also this. Canadian. Yeah. Ah, there we go. I'm just, I'm just missing home. Um <laughs> But there's, so in this idea of like, of the function of music, there was this really interesting study that um, Samuel Mayer and some other people, I think he's at Harvard, um, they did this really big um, study on a lot of different cultures and on, um, on, a, on a huge database of different types of music. And they had people, I think you could probably still do the study online, just like rate what kind of music that you yeah. felt it was. And they basically came up with, um, they were looking at form of music. So the type of rhythm, the type of cadence um, and the type mm -hmm. of tones to it um, and the function of it. And yeah. they basically came up with this idea that there is um, music that is for religious functions, music that is lullabies, um, love okay. songs and... I think something like social social gatherings, mm -hmm. um, and those four categories explained thirty percent of the variance in different types of oh, music wow. across the world. Um, but what they also found, and people could kind of pick up on what um, what type of song, like if they heard a lullaby, they could kind of pick up on whether it was a lullaby. It was a lullaby. Yeah. Okay. But they actually couldn't really find a difference between like arousal and type of melody in, in, in distinguishing these different forms or these different functions. Really? Yeah. So in so a lullaby had the same arousal effect as like the social gathering music. I think that lullabies and um, lullabies and the social and the dance songs, that was the other type, the dance songs. Okay. They yeah. had a difference in, um, I think lullabies were more, what's the word? Less t tempo, less tempo. We're slower. <laughs> God, I hope my piano teacher never listens Lower. to this. This is really, this is really bad. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, it was actually about melodic complexity and rhythmic complexity. So it was that lullabies had, um, lower melodic complexity and lower rhythmic complexity and dance songs had the most. But okay. it wasn't really super easy to tease apart from those two factors of, like, tempo and rhythm. Um, but I think that it's really interesting that all of these functions, they're all social functions. So you're, it's attachment what? between a mother and a child, yeah. it's a love song, it's a dance song, or yeah. it's, like, a religious song. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I feel like this this social function of music is really interesting, and also in terms of the the changes that it can have on cognition, it seems that a yeah. lot of this also can serve for helping people, like people with autism, for example, um, be more have have more ease in their social interactions with others. And there's you know a lot of research on music therapy, just like for dementia, right. also for autism. Yeah. For a lot, yeah. 
And, you know, we've talked about also that music is like this social connector in terms of saying what group that you're in and the type yeah, of people that yeah, you're definitely. friends with. Um, and I, I think that's really interesting that it's something that across cultures is clearly so social. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. Like, do you feel like music for you is very personal? Um, I think what's also, I think also because, like, I, so my music experience, I guess, is, like, Australian, and then in the U.S. it was also, like, very similar. So I feel like everywhere I've been exposed to music, it, like, has been my culture. So I haven't been exposed to anything that's, that has been different. And then in the Netherlands, I mean, I never went to a techno nightclub, so that wasn't. (laughs) So I don't, I feel like, I don't feel like it's personally something that makes, makes me different or define, defines me. Does that make sense? Like more like part of, of the group and like of every the groups that I've been in it's it that's that has been it and even like we're joking that like I like ACDC and you like Drake but it's not this like entirely different world you know what I mean no yeah I definitely yeah but the thing is that um for like I feel like for you it's definitely like a social bonding thing but we have talked about the fact that you use it for kind of therapy when you're not feeling good like you listen to ACDC yeah no definitely um and I also I was you know kind of thinking about the way that I relate with music and for me I I feel like it's almost this I don't know how this sounds to you but it's almost like dreaming in the sense that you get these like these subconscious things and I I really believe that in my personal opinion, what sets us apart from from other animals is that we're able to yeah. like simulate um, our future selves and our past selves and put ourselves yeah. into different time and space. Mm-hmm. And I think that music is such a facilitator of that. And it also, I think, brings out things that you're concerned about. Because for me, you know, if I if I listen to a sad song or or like some mm-hmm. kind of sort of nostalgic song, and I connect with it, I will immediately picture something that I'm afraid of happening or something that I feel like I need to prepare myself for happening like you know like a a breakup or like the death of someone that I love you know and I feel like music is this way that you can really allow yourself to get into those spaces to rehearse things that you fear might happen in the future so in a sense it's so personal you feel like yeah do you feel like it's like when you're listening to music, do you think it's more the lyrics or the melody? Or for you, is it is it both? Because there's a lot of discussion about this as well. It's like, well, people feel all these things, but like how much of it is connected to the lyrics and how much of it is connected to the to the melody, you know? And, and what parts of it are, are, are giving you like that facilitation for this, you know, these imagining these events? So I think for me, I really, I like, I think, you know, the first, the first thing that you see that you see, that's, I mean, that's such, that's such an indicator of how visual we are. But the first thing that you kind of are, (laughs) that's present in your mind is like this melody. And then, but for me, definitely the lyrics are really important. But at the same time, I've had experiences with like classical music where I just want to cry. But I think, I think with, with lyrics, the thing is that you know, because all, a lot of these these pop songs and even non-pop songs, like lyrics, are often pretty vague. 
and they it's kind of like a horoscope like it allows you to project whatever situation you feel like you want in that um and I think it's something that is actually really common because you know there's memes of like me staring out the window when I was 12 like like (laughs) you know (laughs) thinking about how my husband of five years left me and (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah and so I think that it does I think that because for me I really do believe that that is so key in in the human experience is like simulating yourself into these into into futures that could happen so that you can prepare yourself specifically futures with others um and imagining those kinds of conversations and then this idea of like music as so core to what humans are and this idea that you know music activates more regions in the brain than anything else that you could manipulate yeah it does feel like those things they are so tied together for me and yeah that music is is really something really powerful and really human yeah i yeah i think it is really human and also like very universal because yeah i feel like we could be having this conversation with anyone in the world and they would have these you know shared feelings and experiences towards it which yeah yeah. Yeah, crazy. I guess there's this idea that, you know, and it's true that music is universal. Um, but there also is this lens that we su- see music through that actually is very different to how other societies see music. And there are examples of um I think I mentioned that, you know, it's, that you could play something that's happy that seems happy in one culture but for another culture just because the associations are different, yeah. it seems unhappy. So like for in the West, like, a minor scale that sounds, quote, sad to us, and a major scale sounds, quote, happy, um, and those are kind of, like, the basic building blocks in Western music, and Western music is also very much based on this, this major minor scale, and this, um, sort of, like, the piano keyboard, where each octave, so, like, an octave is, like, the same note, but played, higher or lower if that makes sense so in physics it's actually it I didn't I remember when I learned this in high school my mind was blown that an octave is actually like the note at the bottom of the octave and at the top of the octave they're actually like double the frequency or half the frequency of each other and that's why they sound the same to us you know um but so for us this octave is split into 12 semitones yeah but in other cultures that doesn't exist like or it that's not the way that they think about music there's this concept of you know quarter tones which is half of a semitone which mm-hmm. let me see if we're we gonna do a little example yeah i'm gonna i think i have a <laughs> keyboard app actually I I still have it. but oh really yeah but um but But I think that that's so interesting because, you know, when we talk about musical training, especially in the West, your training is going to be so different compared to someone who is trained in a different style of music. And so some of and that speaks to this this idea that psychology is testing a very specific group of people. So the, the findings that we get, you know, with something that's like music, it seems universal, but actually the way that we think about it can be so different. Um, yeah, so in terms of, like, the mood that people have, so you just said before, like, in the West it's, like, these certain keys 
have certain moods but it's different in other cultures is that something like do we know why that comes about is that something that is learned so it's like when you're growing up like people are sad around that music or like how does so that's that's how it how it works yeah so there's this idea that you that yeah it's basically just like associative learning where um you would see a type of music being played like and then you also or you hear it not see it and then you see exactly (laughs) what you said like sad faces happy faces and then you associate it through that um and obviously we get that through you know media but also if you're in a culture where this specific type of music is played for a religious ceremony or this specific type of music is played right. as a love yeah. song, then you're just going to learn to have those associations. Yeah. Um, and those can be so different depending on, you know, where you're from. Um, and I think that it's, I mean, yeah. I remember yeah. being really shocked when I found out that there were more notes than what the piano allows you to even play. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like for me when because I I did, you know, my parents made me do quite a lot of music when I was a kid. You know, I was like the classic yeah. Asian kid um <laughs> doing piano like after school for however long and I and I was in I was I was doing piano from like 4 to 17. I didn't know this. So you yeah, can because play I'm not, piano. I'm not good at like, it. I was about to say you can play piano fluently, but that's not how you say that. Like, but you can, you can. I mean, play I, song. I, yeah. I mean, I, I got, I got to like a, a relatively high level. Like, I, I got to the level of like you can teach in the conservatory, but which sounds that sounds like pretty impressive. <laughs> no, but I, I really. <laughs> I really just, I never, you know, learned to improvise. I was with, like, the same teacher the whole time. God bless her. I love her. Um, but I just, you know, I was I was really playing the classical music, not really learning my own stuff. Um, but I did have, like, music theory. Like, to be able to ca- pass into different grades um, of okay. piano, you did have to also learn music, learn how to read it, write it to a certain extent, um, learn your chords and stuff like that. And yeah. For me, that was when I had those music theory lessons, I really would feel like when I would go to math class the next day, I felt like math came so much easier to me. Really? Yeah. And I really, I think, and I think that when I was looking into this, um, for this, for this episode, it, it was in a period where we were doing fractions. I don't know how old Uh, it was. Right. Similar, right? So it is similar because, you know, your 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 scale is split into this fraction and you have to understand like what fraction of notes you want to get to to create whatever chord that you're trying to play, whatever sounds good. You have to know that. And it really did help me facilitate this kind of this math aspect. But I thought that it was kind of, you know, something that wasn't really, that was just in my head for some reason. But I spoke to my professors or my teachers about it, and they said that it was really common that people felt like math was easier when they they did this. And I think that this also speaks to the fact that, you know, music and math were actually super tied together for a long time, especially, I think, especially in the West. Yeah. And I think that that is because of the way that we conceptualize music and the way that music is done in the West. But it's not at all everywhere. Yeah. It's not at all like that everywhere to the point where, you know, different kinds of music, they can even feel, quote unquote, 
out of tune. Out of tune, yeah. And there's um, some some artists who are who like split their time between, I don't know, like West Africa where they have their own types of scales, or yeah. um, the Middle East. They also have their own types of um, music, like the Macam scales. They're very different to our regular regular scales. you know Western scales <laughs> that we're super used to. Regular is also a really bad way to, for me to formulate it. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing. And this idea of thinking that things are out of tune when they're just, like, different to what you're used to. Right. It's just different. Yeah. But um, but artists that kind of split their time between different cultures, the way that you'd split your time between different languages, they say that when they move toward – when they move to America for six months or they move to – they move back to Iraq, let's say – that their ear has to take, like, five days to readjust. Oh, really? Is that the same with language? Like, it's I'm, exactly I'm monolingual everyone, so... <laughs> no, I definitely sure. feel it's the same with language. Like, for me, you know, when I, when I go to see my family in China, I feel yeah. like I don't... I'm like, I don't speak Chinese. How am I going to do this? And then within five days, I'll be thinking all Maybe my thoughts like in Mandarin. Same with French. Like if I go if I go to Switzerland and visit my cousins and then I come back, I I can't stop speaking French when at the beginning I couldn't stop speaking couldn't stop having English words coming to me. And I think that right. that's also really interesting is that there's these like that yeah. all of these things that are so human, if you're split apart, like you're always gonna do something so different with different. it. Yeah. Depending on what culture you're from. Um and I think that that really speaks to how how there is this like obviously universal humanness, but then at the same time, the thing that makes us human is how malleable we are. So yeah. I really like that. And I do want to play a little piece um, by Munir Bashir, who's an Assyrian Iraqi um, composer and musician. And just to kind of see this idea of like feeling that some things are out of tune when it's really just like a different type of scale. So I don't know if you as listeners will will have this impression that it's it really hits the ear in a different way that is really pleasant yeah. if you get used to it, of course. But let's check it out. So do you think if you are someone who is wanting to, like, enjoy these different, you know, cultures of music, would it be the same as learning a language? Like, you just need to spend time and, and like, train your ear f for that? Or is it something that because we have, like, all these, you know, moods and arousal states associated with the music from our culture, would it be something that you can do I think that I actually I, I don't this is this is me making an <laughs> semi-educated guess but that I would think that it's kind of similar to language acquisition in the sense that you know babies at I forget exactly how old but when they're like three months old you can tell that they can really distinguish between 
many different types of sounds from many different languages and they're kind of like ready to absorb anything but that when they hit definitely when they hit two I think a lot earlier than that they've kind of lost that ability to distinguish between different types of sounds if they're not being exposed to those different types of sounds and definitely once you hit you know around I think around 13 it's basically that you're you're never going to be native in the language that you learn right yeah and I think that it's probably similar with music because yeah. there are just some associations that are so strong in you um, that maybe are more difficult to adjust back to. But then again, you know, if you're a musician and, and you're you're really training for for yeah, learning yeah. for well, tuning probably. your ear, I guess you could. But that's that's a really interesting question, and I would I would actually really like to know like whether musicians that are really trained in one one form of tuning whether they're able to then adjust fully because i could also imagine that in some i'll also post a link to this this video that explains um different forms of tuning in a really nice way where they play um different maqam scales so these these arabic music scales and even with like this this idea of the quarter note as opposed to the semitone which is something that we have in um, western music they they even have like differences in that which i don't think as someone who was technically trained in music for like 15 years i don't think that i could necessarily hear that as anything other than being slightly sharp or flat so i'm not sure i'm also wondering so there's also a lot of research that people who are bilingual like basically i've always thought because like so nearly all of my friends in our masters of bilingual and I was like the one who wasn't it was like people with bi- who are bilingual have like the best brains ever um, but there's differences in the in the brain and I'm I'm wondering if you are trained in these different music you know tones or whatever if, if it would be that similar like if your brain would it would, it would be similar to someone who's bilingual compared to monolingual that's a super interesting question. I would I, I will look go. into this. I will look into this after, see if there's anything on it. But maybe there isn't. So if someone is looking for a PhD idea, there it is. <laughs> there it is. There. Look how much you get out of these minds matter. <laughs> um, well, also, just before we go, I think this is a nice comparison. So... Ava learnt piano for like fifteen years and was gonna teach somewhere. I no, I wasn't gonna teach. Don't. I just technically could have. I wasn't gonna do it. I learnt drums for six months in a shed, <laughs> and guess what? We learned how to play. Highway to Hell, ACDC. Oh my god! So you know, I'm trained. <laughs> I mean, rhythm is important. I've I've definitely tried to play the drums and I cannot do it. So that's something, you know? It's something. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean take take all of take all of this ideas about music with you. I feel like it's kind of like nature in the sense of we don't necessarily know exactly what it is, no. but we know that it's good for you. So it's good. So And yeah. it makes even if it doesn't make you smarter, it will definitely make you feel good if you choose something you that better. you really like. Yeah. Um and I think also making music with people is really key because I also 
in my experience, I also did like choir for the same amount of time. <laughs> I like, yeah, I was, I was every Monday and like weekends I was doing choir. Oh my God, you did everything. No, I just did those two things and like Shakespeare. And that's why I can't play sports because my parents were like, nah, you don't need to, you don't need to learn that. You don't need to go outside. So I did horse riding, netball, and shed drums. So <laughs> we lost our talents. <laughs> no, but but you know, I think that there's there's a point at which you miss out on things. But in a way, I always felt that I missed out on sports because of this this communal um, communal team sport feeling, yeah. where yeah. which is what is like really key for you know kids with autism who do music therapy and for kids in general and adults who are just like playing music with others it's this idea that you're communicating with someone where unlike language you don't have to be um waiting for that person to speak then you speak it's something that you do all together and it's something that you really have to focus in on what the other person is doing to be able to really get that but I feel like you know one one really also important aspect that I really remember of throughout my musical training including the math thing was this time where I was I was in with my choir we were doing like a small kind of chamber choir thing I think we were do you know the show the Borgias it was kind of like the Tudors anyway (laughs) you were on that no we just said we weren't on it we just had to like sing because there was like some scene yeah we had to sing because there was some no because there was this there's like a, a choir of monks that passed by in like an episode and like we we recorded it it's not a big deal <laughs> just name dropping might no um but but so we were in this really small studio and with like only a few of us which we didn't typically do but it was like this really beautiful like um chamber choir stuff that was mostly like oohs and ahs and the feeling of being in a room with a bunch of people who are doing exactly the same thing as you and you're creating like this beautiful sound together and like the conduct you're holding your last note and the conductor you know motions for you all to stop and you all stop in unison like that is definitely something that really gave me chills I remember when I was there and that I think is so powerful of just making these making something so beautiful really together together. like you have to do it together and I feel like sports might be the only other thing that's like that, which I have no experience of. But, but no, yeah. That's to say, like, you know, pick up an instrument if you can, learn something. Next time we'll do a jam session on Zoom. <laughs> Bet on we? the drums. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess all we can say to you guys is go listen to listen. some music. And we'll start you off with our Minds Matter playlist um, featuring our old friend, Glacio. So we'll get him to to take you guys out as usual. 